Hello and welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Schultz. And today I am joined by our managing editor at Field Goals, Mookie Alexander, as the two of us fill in behind Dana and Dan. And they they did Mookie, they didn't leave us a great game to talk about. I was hoping that we would be able to react to a win knowing that they were going to be out and, and not going to be able to react to this one. And at halftime, I, I was I was thinking that things were looking up. Instead, the Seahawks fall uh, for a third straight time this season to the San Francisco 49ers, 41 to 23. Yeah, um, bad luck for me because I've only done two postgame reaction shows the entire season. And two of those, uh, sorry, both of those games were the 49ers losses in Santa Clara. Um, at least the first game was pretty much over by halftime. This one gave you a little bit of hope. I've been railing against the Seahawks' tendencies in the playoffs to start poorly and then wait until it's too late before they actually do something. Right. Well, they did start slowly this time, but they actually bothered to, to show up within the first half, so that was a good thing. Uh, but their history of really coming on strong in the second half, I think there was a miscommunication. When I said don't start slowly, that did not mean start finish the game as poorly as possible. Yeah. Like you, you should be allowed to do both. But uh, for, for whatever reason, even though it's the 49ers, I, I just had a calmness to the way that the season ended. Like if they had lost 55, nothing or something like that, I would have been pretty steamed. If they had lost the way the chargers did to the Jaguars, yes. uh, we would not be doing this podcast. <laughs> um, but the, the way that they just crumbled, it was upsetting initially. And then towards the end, it's, it's like a, a whole piece came came across my body like i was totally fine with it but all right the seahawks lost they just lost to a team with a much better roster much better offensive scheme much better defensive players it happens and we we just look forward to a a very intriguing offseason well and they lost in a way that wasn't unfamiliar to what we've come to expect over the season and you know it's interesting that you bring up the chargers game because the way your team loses does have an impact on your psyche as you go into the offseason. And yeah, for the Chargers to be up 27 to nothing and then have that kind of loss, that's one that can tend to get a coach fired. And when you have Pete Carroll, who is in it at halftime and maybe in it to a point that a lot of folks weren't expecting, especially after going down 10 points early on. It was the Niners team that was favored to win by 10 points or so going into this game. So uh, they spot them the, the 10 points right away. They come back at halftime. They have the lead. And you're thinking, okay, they might be in it. And yes, it's it's disappointing, especially when the Niners, I mean, they ran all over the Seahawks defense. And so when I talk about a way of losing that's not unfamiliar, it's it's a formula that we've seen to beat the Seahawks defense is run the football, run it well, and then hit some of those play action shots or or just find the open guy in zone to where, um, yeah, the, you can pick up big chunk plays. And that's exactly what the Niners did in the second half. Yeah. Um, what was interesting in the first half is that the very first run play for the Niners was that a little toss to Debo Samuel, gained 22 yards. Mm-hmm. The next possession, Christian McCaffrey takes off for 67 yards, running through the biggest hole, a Grand Canyon-sized hole behind the Seahawks' defensive line. And then for the rest of the half, they alternated between not running the ball a lot or when they did run the ball, it, it, it was just it was getting stuffed. So that gave me some hope. But the other side of it was when the Niners were passing the ball, as long as Brock Purdy wasn't uh, 
being wayward with, with his passes. Mm-hmm. Guys were just running wide open. And the makeup of this 49ers offensive roster, it is an, a far worse nightmare for Seattle's defensive roster and the defensive scheme than any Sean McVay team has ever had. I mean, this is the worst-case scenario upon all worst-case scenarios because you think about all the yak monsters it got. Ayuk, Debo, McCaffrey, and you got a possession receiver in Jawan Jennings, and of course you got George Kittle. And the Seahawks were second to last as far as giving up yards after catch. And they got annihilated in yak, both because Kyle Shanahan is truly phenomenal at scheming guys open so that they can get a a lot of yak. Mm -hmm. But the second bit is the Seahawks, as we've seen the entire season, this was really just a microcosm of the way this year has gone and the way previous seasons have gone. The tackling was just not there. And I get that Debo and Kittle in particular are hard to bring down. But a lot of this was just the Seahawks defense. Just they fail at fundamentals so often. And you can't do that against a great team like the 49ers. And the number of times they had favorable down and distance and gave up a first down anyway because they couldn't bring a guy down. Uh, it, those just stack up on you. Yeah, with the tackling, it's one thing when you see a, a good form tackle and just a guy showing toughness like Kittle and Samuel can sometimes do and just break out of a, a, a good form tackle. But then you have other moments where you have Kobe Bryant diving at the ground and not even getting a, a finger on a player. Or you have Cody Barton coming in to make a tackle and instead of getting a hand on Ayuk, or, or I think it was Ayuk, uh, inst- instead of getting a hand on him, he takes out Tariq Woolen entirely from the play who's in pursuit. And it's those types of things that are especially frustrating. Yeah, very frustrating. Yeah, Cody Barton had a horror show of a game. And I kind of fear that because Shanahan's schemes pretty much make Seattle's linebackers look clueless all the time. And Barton, who had been playing better in recent weeks, was way out of his depth in this game. The poor angles, the the lack of pursuits uh, to, to ball carriers. And yeah, you, you just brought it up. He did a better job at taking out Tariq Willen than he did some of the, the 49ers players. Uh, Kobe Bryant also really struggled with his tackling. And he'd been better with that in recent weeks. Right. But during the course of the season, missed tackles are a problem for him. I, I imagine that's going to be a point of emphasis for him this offseason because he does a lot of other things well. I mean, he was getting those forced fumbles like crazy in the middle part of the year. He's a good nickel option as a blitzer. But uh, he struggled. And I could say this was a wake-up call also for a good chunk of the rookie class. Um, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, I didn't think, performed poorly at all. But certainly Bryant took his lumps. And Tariq Woolen picked a really bad time to have by far the worst game of his career because Shanahan just ran rings around Woolen. Whether it was taking advantage of his lack of eye discipline on play action or running those crossing routes or whether Woolen is in a zone and he's not sticking, sticking with his assignment and giving up a big play. Um, it, it really was a rough day at the office for him. And as much as it sucked to see that happen after such a wonderful season, he'll learn from that, you hope. That that's, for seasons to come, he will get better at this. But during this particular point in time, Seattle's inexperience really costs them uh, on both sides of the ball, I would say. Well, and that was maybe something to be expected to considering, well, I think they talked about it on the broadcast, the the number of... Uh, rookie snaps. No, no team had had as as many as the Seahawks, and then to have as many rookie starters going into this game. You know, Ken Walker, a big part of that, and he, and he had a, a solid first half. Ends up finishing the day, fifteen rushes for sixty three yards, but 
I think he had 13 of those 15 attempts in the first half. And unfortunately, the game just got away from him in the second half, giving up the one big drive to the Niners to, to start and then to get down into scoring range and then to have Gino with the fumble. Uh, it just that turned the game right there. And then you had penalties on top of that. But it was the fumble combined then with the penalties on the, the next drive for the Seahawks. And they just looked out of it. And the Niners took advantage. Yes, they did. Uh, that, that third quarter was a nightmare. Not just the fact that Seattle ended up going into the halftime with the lead, unexpectedly so, because the DJ Dallas runs... I did not understand them whatsoever. And they basically gifted the Niners a field goal as a result. But then the Niners gift the Seahawks a field goal right back with right. the Jimmy Ward hits on Geno as he's sliding. So, all right, cool. 17-16. If the Seahawks defense can hold the Niners to a field goal here, then we can see how the rest of this game goes. And not only do the Niners score, they take off half the quarter. Right. And again, those were repeated third down conversions. The play where I think it was, it was either Ayuk or Samuel, uh, that that Barton lost and ended up it, it was Debo Samuel actually. Oh, it was Debo. Okay. Play. So it was Debo and Barton ended up taking out Woolen. Woolen was beaten on the play, but Barton made it worse. So and then Michael Jackson missed a tackle as well. But on the offensive side of the ball, certainly the, the first quarter didn't go well, but it was just bad third down execution. They yeah. got third and one. They got third and two, and they whiffed both times. Mm -hmm. The third and one, Gino got or third and two actually both times, but Gino got sacked the first time. And maybe the all 22 can give us a better idea because that looked like a blitz and Gino probably should have gotten the ball out sooner. And then the second one, that was a good decision by Gino to run wide. I, I don't know if that was an option keeper or designed, you know, run to the outside for Smith. Right. But Parkinson misses block, Metcalf misses block. And that also t shows you the difference between the Seahawks and the 49ers is that Seattle might have some willing blockers at receiver and tight end. They're not as good as San Francisco's. And really, a lot of the other teams that are good at generating yards after catch or getting a lot of yards before contact. But the second quarter, things started to open up a bit. Gina was in rhythm. He was making good throws. The, the touchdown to Metcalf was an absolute dime that we really hadn't seen directly from Gino to DK uh, over the past several weeks. And Smith was making plays with his legs. He was making all the right decisions. And then that third quarter... What really unraveled it is before the sack was the penalty on Damian Lewis for the ineligible man downfield. Now, <laughs> it, it, it was ticky-tack, and he got called for this three times. Right. I guess by letter of the law, it's correct. The fact that Lewis kept doing this over and over annoyed me, as well as him false starting earlier in that same drive and then staying in a stance after the ball was snapped and it destroyed a run play. So he's been good all season. Not, not his best day, uh, but the fumble was just... It, that, that pretty much ended the game right there. You couldn't afford a turnover. You couldn't afford a zero-point possession. Mm -hmm. And Jackson got beaten badly. Gino tried to escape up the middle, but the ball security, um, that's been a problem for him. And that is a legitimate concern heading into next season, assuming that he does stay on the team. After the bye week, he had 11 turnovers, yeah, uh, counting the two today. And usually his turnovers lead to points for the other team. So to be in scoring position, have that turnover happen, and then the Niners just score easily right after that. It's unfair to the offense, but essentially the way that game was going, even from the opening quarter, the offense had to score on every possession. It was that sort of day because the defense forced one punt and everything else was a score. It really was an atrocious showing by the defense. Even acknowledging the talent advantage the 49ers have, Seattle, Seattle's defense really did not look like they belonged whatsoever.
I know that a lot of people are going to want to say, hey, Gino, in the second half of the season, he didn't necessarily win me over. When are we going to have another top five pick to use on a quarterback? Maybe we go with it there. But I, gosh, Mookie, I'm not opposed to going defense strong uh, in the draft and seeing what Gino can do coming back from that. But at the same time, again, when are you going to pick in that top five? It's really going to come down to whether or not there's a quarterback available that the Seahawks really like that position. We're going to have a lot to talk about in terms of the quarterback spot here over the next few months. Uh, where are you at right at this point in time? While I am in between two minds, I want Gino to stay because this season, even though he didn't play as well towards the second half of the season, he, he's, he's a wonderful story and he'll forever have my respect on the field for that because he was written off, including by myself and a lot of other Seahawks fans and the, the, the league as a whole, like Gino Smith replacing Russell Wilson. This team is is going to be in, in the toilet this year. Yeah. And that didn't happen. Gino was genuinely playing at a high level for much of the season, tapered off a bit. And now you have a situation where you do have a fifth overall pick. You also have either the 19th or 20th overall pick, depending on what happens in the Buccaneers-Cowboys game. And we don't know which quarterbacks are projected to go where just yet because the combine hasn't even happened yet. We've seen people have their draft stock wildly fluctuate from Mm -hmm. the end of the college season through the combine and interviews and everything else. So that is to be determined. But if you're the Seahawks and you're a Seahawks fan, you you think of it from a couple of angles. So one angle is from the 2023 Seahawks team, can you get a quarterback who will have better productivity than 2022 Geno Smith? I don't think that's particularly likely. Can you get a Especially Mookie, considering that Geno Smith just broke a, a ton of franchise records this season in terms of uh, completions, uh, attempts, yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had 30 touchdowns. It, that would be asking a lot for a rookie to come in and even do a portion of that. It, it took Russ a, a few years before he got that kind of trust from Pete. Yeah. So if you look at it that way, it's unlikely that. 2023 rookie is going to be better than 2022 Gino. Another angle is, was 2022 Gino as good as it's it's going to get? Mm -hmm. And if it is, okay, hopefully it's a lot more the first half of the season than the second half of the season. Then another angle would be, is the rookie quarterback likely to be better than the absolute best version of Gino Smith in the long term? That is something that is legitimately worth discussing Mm -hmm. and worth uh, arguing in favor of taking a quarterback, even if it's not a fifth overall. You can still take it with your other first-round pick. You can take one with your early second-round pick. Uh, but I would like to see the Seahawks draft a quarterback still. Uh, the, the Drew Locke fanfic brigade. Sorry, I don't see it with him. <laughs> so just m- move on from Locke. Find somebody else. A, a promising rookie quarterback who is less likely to be so cavalier with the ball. And Gino will probably get the starts, and assuming that he, he signs on whatever deal he gets. And then if things go south with Gino, then we get to see... What about that rookie? That's, to me, the most ideal situation. I don't want to go through another veteran quarterback. I don't think Seattle's going to make some splash move and trade for Lamar Jackson, but you never know at this point. But, yeah, I I, I know that some fans are down on Geno. I've seen a lot of uh, criticism on the field goals comment section of Geno. I thought he did fine through the first two and a half quarters of this game against a top-flight defense. It's the number one defense in the league by DVOA and number one in, in, in points allowed. It's just that the turnover was so untimely that that's what people are going to remember the most. Yeah. I don't really care about the second turnover, but the first one 
was just so bad. And it's been a thing with Gino the last several weeks is that his turnovers have come at the worst possible time, including the Buccaneers game. And that felt like the Buccaneers game too, where you're just getting back into the game. And then that happens deep in opposition territory. But again, Gino Smith, uh, I applaud him for the way the season went, even if it wasn't like start to finish extremely elite stuff. I do want to see him stay on the Seahawks. I don't want a huge contract. So in other words, I don't think he, he should get like a four or five year, whatever massive deal. Right. But something that is, that is as team friendly as possible so that the Seahawks can build around Gino and also be able to build a better team such that when things are, are dicey, it doesn't all have to be on Gino. So building a stronger offense such that they're top three. And if the defense is having a bad day, the offense can overcome that. And that means getting another wide receiver uh, to complement Metcalf and Lockett, getting another running back, not early. Don't freak out about that. Getting another running back to, to complement with Kenneth Walker, getting new guards, well, at least a new right guard, getting a new center. I think you can never stack highly enough at the skill positions. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's self-explanatory, isn't it? Need a better defensive line, need linebacker depth, need starting caliber linebackers, really, because I don't think Barton's going to be staying on this team. Yeah. And Brooks won't be ready, probably, to start the next season. The secondary, you know, digs and to be determined with Neil and Adams. We'll see what happens there. I think you keep Quandre with the way that he ended the season pretty well. Tyreek Willen is already your guaranteed starter. Maybe Kobe Bryant moves to the outside. That's to be determined. You keep him in nickel, then you figure out whether you want to keep Michael Jackson or try and upgrade from Michael Jackson or see if he will compete with Trey Brown. But this was a disappointing way to, to, to lose, but I'm not that terribly upset about it. There are more pieces in place for the Seahawks to be good again very quickly than we saw in previous playoff eliminations. So I would like to think of this as something similar to the way they lost the Bears game in 2010, in the 2010 playoffs, where yeah, it sucked to get blown out like that, mm -hmm. but got a starting safety, got a starting left tackle in Russell Kuhn. You got some other key players. You got Chris Clemens as maybe the Uchenna Nuosu of, of that, that generation of Seahawks football. You just need a franchise quarterback is what we said back then. Maybe we get a franchise quarterback in the draft while still keeping Geno. So think of it that way. Yeah, I like that idea of thinking back to that season and with the idea that maybe it's not so far off um, because it took a couple of years to build the defense from 2010 and they, they may have just enough pieces to where maybe you can focus more on the defense because there are so many other pieces that are long-term on the offense. I mean, the tight end group is set for this next year. If quarterback is set for the short term, at least, and you, you still have a, a good group of, wide receivers led by DK and, and you still expect Tyler to have a couple more years. So that solid core is there. And if you add some, some running backs, you have Ken Walker who can kind of be that leader in the backfield too. So it, and, and with, and having those two tackles to come out of this draft, it just, it feels like the offense is more put together. And so yeah, if Pete Carroll can focus on that defense now, it feels also like it's been a couple years now where we've been putting our faith in Pete Carroll and his hiring decisions and, and it didn't work out with Ken Norton Jr. And we saw the struggles this year from Coach Hurt and Sean Desai. So I, I think there may be some patience uh, that's running thin with Seahawks fans and the defense saying, hey, 
uh, what Pete was able to build this great defense before and why are they struggling to find talent in some of the, especially in the middle of the defense and stopping the run, which is something that Pete Carroll has always been focused on. And for them to struggle with that in particular this season, I I can kind of see where they're coming from. I'm, I'm coming from that, from that point too, of why is this so hard? If this is one of the things that you really want to focus on stopping. Yeah. Isn't it something that's, one of the complaints about Pete Ball, as it were, is that, okay, he, he focuses too much on running the football on offense and then trying to stop the run on defense. Well, guess what? They threw the ball a hell of a lot this season. They, they were top 10 in, in neutral game state pass rate, early mm-hmm. down pass rate. And eventually they, they figured out the running game again late in the season after that lull in the middle of the season. But the run defense was atrocious pretty much from from opening day all the way towards the end of the season and a lot of it with the same guys that they were playing last year maybe just a piece or two here and there so that speaks more to me about schematic issues but it is also a roster issue and that means that pete's got to own it given that he's got control of this roster him him and john schneider so i think it is more than valid and i wrote this in my winners and losers column to to wonder is Pete carroll capable of building a great defense again and what we've seen since the Legion of Boom dissolved, so we'll start at 2018, we've gone through multiple defensive coordinators, and we have seen the pass rush remain terribly inconsistent, if not non-existent, since the Frank Clark trade. We have seen the team refuse to cover running backs at all, especially these last couple of years. They've been near the bottom in DVOA year after year after year uh, against running backs, and they gave up two more touchdowns this afternoon. Uh, the secondary, certainly before the Jamal Adams trade, the Tedrick Thompson experience was thoroughly unenjoyable. <laughs> Playing Trey Flowers out of position basically his entire time in Seattle uh, when he he clearly wasn't cut out for outside corner. They have spent quite a bit of capital on trying to fix this defense, short-term or long-term. That includes using a first-rounder on LJ Collier or a second-rounder on Marquise Blair or using the third-rounder on, on Cody Barton and a first-rounder on Jordan Brooks or the multiple firsts they gave up for Jamal Adams or... Tedrick Thompson was a day two pick, I believe. I think he went in the third round, and if he didn't, he went in the fourth round. But still, they had the Sheldon Richardson trade even while the Legion of Boom was still still here. Mm-hmm. And they had, did I mention the Jadavion Clowney trade as well? They didn't give up a ton of draft capital there, but sure. still, you yeah, get the it's general part idea. of it too. Getting rid of Bobby Wagner a year too early, uh, you could throw that in there as well. Yeah. Quite possibly. That was a um, lifetime achievement all pro that I think that he got, (laughs) if we're being honest. But still, he didn't look totally cooked to me. But you get the general idea. The Seahawks have tried to retool and rebuild this defense, and they have thrown a lot of money at it and a lot of draft capital at at it, and the results are just not there. And then on the flip side, the offense, we have seen the success by having DK Metcalf and having Tyler Lockett. Noah Fant has worked his way into being an, an effective top tight end uh, on the depth chart. We've seen the excitement that Kenneth Walker provides and Rashad Penny may not be on this team much longer, but still the what could have been is if Walker and Penny were were healthy the whole season. We've seen them get two starting tackles, day one starting tackles in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. And we we, we just witnessed Geno Smith have a career year by far. The, The offense has done a much better job of fixing itself to some degree to the point where they can be functional compared to the defense. So if you're so minded, you can say, you know what? Maybe this is just not going to work under Pete. And that's even though Tariq Woolen is is on his way to being a top corner in this league, 
Maybe Boye Mafe can be something as a pass rusher and run defender. Daryl Taylor had a strong finish to the season. The Seahawks defense just does not really fit in today's NFL. And if Seattle can gear itself towards having an elite offense, just having a league average defense should be good enough for them to be a contender. Um, Will that happen? I don't know. I suspect that this offseason, Carroll is going to put his resources heavily into this defense, whether through schematic changes, coaching staff changes, personnel changes, or, or really all of the above. Because watching this defense on a weekly basis when they're not playing rotten offenses like the Jets, it's been a painful experience. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just not fun because when they're not getting pressure, then guys are getting left wide open. Or when they are getting pressure, they're they're giving up a busted coverage somewhere. And we've seen this for, for several years in a row now, regardless of who's on the team. So at some point, that's got to fix itself. Or, you know, Pete Carroll and John Schneider have a really important offseason ahead of them as far as fixing the flaws in this team. So I guess... I'm not going to say the loss is a good thing, but imagine if the Seahawks had played the Eagles the following week. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would have been happy because it would have meant a win over the Niners, and yeah. I would have taken that uh, just as I enjoyed the win uh, right before that Bears game that we talked about. So, yeah, you know, that, that would have been awesome. <laughs> I mean, it would have been awesome to knock off the 49ers and pull off the upset of all upsets. But against the Eagles, I'm pretty sure that Hurts, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, <laughs> Kenneth Gainwell, basically anybody who has ever run the ball for uh-huh. the Eagles could be capable of a 100-yard game. So what this loss shows is that the Seahawks are not a terrible team. They're still a, a team in, in transition. But they are also so far away from being true contenders. And we have seen this through four games now. I'm talking about the three against the 49ers and the one against the Chiefs, where they only held a lead for, for a few minutes combined. And all of it was the first possession of the third quarter against uh, in this game uh, when it was 17 to 16. That's it. Against the absolute elites, they really didn't look like they belonged too much. But against bad teams, mixed results. That was kind of our hint. Uh-huh. Uh, and then against decent teams like the Chargers and the Giants, they were able to, able to get some wins. But, you know, this season, I think we, we got the most out of it. An unexpected playoff appearance, yeah, it didn't result in a playoff win, but getting to the playoffs in the first place was already a surprise. Got the help we needed from the Commanders and and um, and Packers losing, and most importantly, the Denver Broncos gave Seattle a top five pick. So, if I were to give you that at the start of the season, you would take that ten times out of ten. I'd much rather have this than sitting through seventeen games of unwatchable football and mostly losing i mean right. losing sucks it absolutely sucks tanking really doesn't work in the nfl like it does the nba so seeing gradual improvement seeing the team be exciting and competitive for the most part that that's what has made this season more enjoyable than not pete carroll and geno smith they really did make this season fun for the seahawks it, now the way that it it kind of sputtered out toward the second half of the season that wasn't as fun but uh, the fact that they were able to to build on that early, the fact that so many rookies you can envision being a part of this team later on, it uh, it was fun and unexpected. And so, yeah, we have Pete Carroll to thank for that, despite uh, the the other things that we also have him to. Uh, well, not, maybe we're not so thankful for with regards to some of the criticisms that we just talked about on defense, but. Mookie, it gives us a lot of stuff to talk about at Field Goals this offseason. So what do we have coming up this week to to kind of kick things off to send us into the offseason? 
Well, I'm sure we'll have uh, post-game quotes and interviews from Seahawks coaches and players about how the season has gone. We'll be keeping an update on if anybody gets let go or has another coaching job somewhere else, like Sean Desai got is having an, a request for interview, rather. The mm-hmm. Browns requested an interview with Sean Desai to be their defensive coordinator. We'll see if anybody on the defensive side of the ball gets fired, because I'd be shocked if they had 100% retention after the way this season went <laughs> right uh and then we'll definitely be doing mock drafts aplenty including on these podcasts dan will continue to do the full seven round mock drafts and they will get better as as each episode passes along because we'll have a firmer timeline of where seattle will be picking and a firmer idea of which players are projected to go where so draft stuff this is going to be seattle's most important draft since uh the last draft <laughs> Except this one is really, really important to see if Seattle can take that next step towards being a contender or if they're just jogging in place. And then we really got to reassess everything with this front office. Yeah. And if you're on the same text thread that uh, with Dan that Mookie and I are on, and if you're listening to this, you, you may not be on that because it's a, a very short list. But I'll tell you that Dan is fired up to do some of these mock drafts. And so if you're into that sort of content, this is going to be the place to be over the next few months to get an idea of who's out there, who the Seahawks could go after, at what point in the draft some players may go to. Uh, Dan's going to have all of that for you coming up as we lead up to the draft. A big thanks to Mookie for coming on, and I'm sure Dan and Dana will be back. Shoot, I may be back. I I think Dan and I might come back and talk about uh, how this season closed, too. So lots to look forward to right here at Field Goals. Until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. (laughs) 